0: Welcome back to the second first episode of exactly similar I am your host Ryan and today is today 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 is going to be a very fun episode for me we're going to go over my essential movies so these are the movies that when people ask me about movies I always try to work at least one of them into the conversation and today you're going to get to hear my favorite essential movies now Starting off today, we're going to go with The Room from 2003. Now, if you go anywhere and ask anybody what their favorite worst movie is, nine times out of ten, people are going to say The Room from 2003. So this movie is... Oh my. This movie is insane. This movie... Basically had the man who created it, Tommy Wiseau, he had full creative control over it because it was self-funded. You know, this was his movie. He put a lot of his money into it. I'm pretty sure it was only funded by this guy, which is insane. So, yeah. So, obviously, Tommy Wiseau starred in it. Um, He's had a few of his uh, friends star in it as well. And... This movie is just a meme. This movie literally is a meme. Honestly, I didn't know if this movie was supposed to be serious or it was supposed to be like a joke, but apparently it was serious. It was definitely a serious movie. Now, a lot of times when you look at movies that flop, don't do so well, you always wonder, was it one of those executives that came in and said, oh, no, Change this, because I think it'll sell more tickets, it'll sell more toys, it'll get more tickets to theme parks. Like in Spider-Man 3, when Avi Arid, one of the weirdest men on the planet, added Venom into the movie, and it made it terrible. It took away from the creative control of the director, Sam Raimi, who wanted it to go one way, but the studio came in, had it go another way, and that movie turned out to be... Not so good. Anyway, this is on the opposite spectrum. So Tommy Wiseau, the creative control of this movie, had full creative control. Obviously, so there was a lot of no. There was there wasn't a lot of nos going on during the production of this movie. Clearly, um. As portrayed in the 2017 movie, The Disaster Artist, which was a movie about this movie, which, you know, had the two Franco brothers in it. Let me tell you, just the story behind this movie is so strangely heartwarming. Tommy Wiseau, really weird guy, really, really weird guy. Nobody knows anything about him because he's a liar and doesn't tell anybody the right answers. So... Nobody knows a thing about this guy. Anyway, this movie just I mean you, you hand you hand the keys to a 5-year-old at this point. I mean, if you're going to look at it critically, this movie has a bunch of nothing going on. The acting is terrible. The um the writing um it it's given a it's given George Lucas some, some. Well, let's just say it makes George Lucas's romantic writing in Attack of the Clones. It makes it look like Oscar-worthy material. Let's just say that this movie has one of the most famous memed lines, where it's Tommy Wiseau walking out of a door and it's saying, "I did not hit her. I did not. It's bullshit. I did not hit her." Oh, hi, Mark. Like nobody just writes that sentence. Like nobody. Like obviously that Tommy Wiseau wrote this movie, and his first draft wasn't the final script because it's <laughs> a lot going on. I mean, like if you literally watch a, the movie The Disaster Artist, it it goes like completely, completely into detail about how terrible this was. I mean. It's just insane, and somebody who wants to make movies, and somebody who wants to be involved in this industry, I look at that, and I know that that is not how you do things. It is not how you do things one bit, so honestly, The Room, no matter how terrible it is, no matter how strangely, oh, it's just like, It makes my stomach turn thinking about it sometimes, but it's definitely one of my most essential movies just because of the fact that the story behind it is insane and warranted a movie of its own. So, yeah. So my next movie is Nightcrawler from 2014. This actually is one of my favorite movies of all time, not just one of my essential movies. This movie is just off the walls, off the walls. So stars Jake Hall. and Jake Hall is kind of a bad person, but he also kind of suffers from what it seems to be a mental illness, and it is pretty evident by the way he acts. So he is a guy just struggling, looking for work, and you know he happens to end up in the uh, in the realm of. Like a crime scene photography or whatever you want to call that. Like a, I guess a crash scene crime reporter. And like, he's the guy that takes videos up and close to these car wrecks before like the news gets there. This is how the news gets their videos. Like this is how you turn on the morning, turn on the morning news. And you see like the videos of a tractor trailer turned over and it's like right up next to it. Usually that's from a freelancer. Somebody who's going to go there and a news station will pay a few bucks. For the footage. And Jake Hall enters this world. And he kind of goes nuts. He goes nuts. Because he finds success in it. He finds it addicting. It's like a pleasure for him. And honestly. My favorite part about this movie. Is how Jake Hall, Instead of adapting to the storylines. Starts creating his own storylines. Like he's going around. Causing a crime just to get it on tape. If he isn't the first at the scene, he will create his own scene. And he hires people that go around with him, and obviously they don't end up too well at the end of the movie. No spoilies, because that's rude. After being rejected by other employers, he, uh, he takes up the oddly specific occupation of crash scene crime reporter, like I said. um, This movie was made for 8 point five million dollars which is kind of nuts because a lot of these blockbuster movies now are going for like a hundred million dollars two hundred million dollars like it, it's nuts and it only made forty seven million dollars which is still breaking even obviously um, I think it deserves more it's really not a perfect story but just the character study of Jake Gyllenhaal's character is more gripping than like a movie that was made recently like Joker. Joaquin Phoenix is really good in that movie, but people just look at Joker as like a cult movie and I'm not about that. I don't think Joker was that good. I think it was pretty generic. I think it had some amazing moments, but I do think that if you're going to if you want to watch a movie like that Watch Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler is just like, oh my, it just makes, it makes your skin crawl. Jake Gyllenhaal is a phenomenal, phenomenal actor. And he really does give an amazing performance in this. It's on Netflix right now, I'm pretty sure. I saw it on there a few days ago, but who knows how long it will be there for. But if you're interested in watching a man go insane and do insane things to insane people, or normal people in some cases please watch nightcrawler because if it really just it blew my mind the first time i saw it i heard good things about it i remember my dad and i sat down on a rainy day watched it because i was off of school and oh boy oh boy Definitely one of my favorites of all time now the next one the next movie on my list of essential movies is superman from 1978 now this is going to be one of two comic book movies so don't worry if this isn't your vibe it'll be over soon okay so up to the year 1978 superheroes had been very very heavily downplayed outside the, the comic book medium I mean, the most famous superhero movie up to that point was Batman in 1966. And, you know, Adam West, say what you will about that one. It was campy, childish and campy. Let me tell you, said camp twice, because if you watch it, Batman runs around with a bomb above his head for about two minutes. It feels like I haven't seen that movie in a while, but I just remember that part. It was pretty good. Anyways, so this was marketed in a very specific way. The marketing material had this one phrase that really stuck out to audiences in the late 70s. You'll believe a man can fly. And they, and they did. Superman was like insane. I mean, Superman, if you ask people that saw that movie in theaters, this was right after Star Wars. So people were expecting a lot out of these blockbuster movies. And it obviously didn't hold up to today. Like, I watched it probably a month ago, and I was like, oh boy. <laughs> this kind of doesn't look great. But just the story. The story is amazing. I mean, I, I always have to look at it in the context of when it was released. Like, I yeah, CGI, green screen, blue screen, the way they're filming The Mandalorian now, like the volume, obviously... This was way before that time. So, you're not going to get that type of quality. Now, Christopher Reeve. Christopher Reeve, as Clark Kent or Superman, needed to have some range. And he pulled off the character of Superman phenomenally. And to pull off the character of Superman, you have to pull off that balance between Clark Kent and Superman, which he did amazingly. I mean,. You look at Clark Kent, he's a bumbling reporter, and he's always stumbling over his words, fixing his glasses, he's slouched over, and he sounds kind of like a dork. But he's also lovable. And on the other side, we have Superman. Superman is obviously this harrowing figure. He's Superman. I mean, he's a... He's... You, you really can't say other, more other than he is Superman. And... Christopher Reeve was smart enough as an actor to try and disassociate the two. So as Clark, he made his voice higher pitched, slouched his back, gave himself a little bit of a stutter. And as Superman, he put on a big spot, big smile, stood tall, pushed, out, pushed his shoulders out, and had such a strong, deep voice. He sounded natural. He sounded like himself. And Superman was up against Gene Hagman's Lex Luthor. Oh boy. Oh my god. As a kid, I was. I loved Lex Luthor watching that movie because he's just such a strange businessman. He. Oh, my God. Lex Luthor in that movie, he's the quintessential bad guy. I mean, he's not the Lex Luthor from the comic books, clearly. Like, he's not this famous businessman. He's just a bad guy who wants to make a lot of money off of real estate. He's a real estate guy, I guess. So that is there and he isn't bald because gene hackman didn't want to shave his head which is very funny to me well anyway superman from 1978 is a movie that has influenced superhero movies forever i mean if you don't get superman you don't get the avengers if you don't get superman you don't get the Dark Knight with Christian Bale. You don't get those movies. You don't get Batman from 1989. You don't get... You, don't, you basically don't see superheroes in the mainstream. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I still think it's very essential because obviously we wouldn't have the movies we have today without Christopher Reeve as Superman from 1978. And one of the biggest things that honestly put it on this list for me was the how they handled Superman's origin and the fact that I did not like the movie Man of Steel from 2013 because of the fact that the way they handled his origin just didn't sit right with me. So, in the movie Man of Steel 2013, Superman's dad, Jonathan Kent, has Earth father i guess his adoptive father he dies in front of superman because he doesn't want superman to use his power because if he does then everybody's gonna be mean to him i guess i don't know bad motivations for jonathan kent i guess anyway in the 70s they handled that very differently it it taught superman a very very important lesson about being a hero his dad also dies in front of him in this movie but from a heart attack. Not because he stood in a tornado and didn't want everyone to see Superman use his powers. Not like the Man of Steel one. In the 70s, um, he really just learned a very important lesson. Sometimes there are things out of your control and sometimes you cannot save everybody because, I mean, dying from a heart attack unexpectedly is just completely different than not using your powers to run in or fly into a tornado, pull your dad with a broken leg out, and then just pretend like it never happened. Which, by the way, really makes me mad because if you look at it, everybody's running under an underpass. Nobody's really looking at the tornado other than to be afraid of it. Nobody's paying attention to Jonathan Kent because he's just a guy. Not everybody knows each other in Smallville, Kansas. Uh, Anyway, that's a small little rant because I don't think that was handled very well. I think the fact that Superman's dad had a heart attack in front of him just gave him that lesson of you can't save everybody. And there are some things that are out of your control, which he had to come to terms with, even though he doesn't later in the movie. Because Superman, in the 1978 movie, sees Lois Lane die, and he flies around the Earth. the opposite way, which spins it around and makes it go back in time to save Lois Lane for some reason. But again, we have to look at it in the context it came out. This was 1978. This wasn't the super serious, dark, and gritty Zack Snyder Man of Steel that we got, which is the realest thing you'll ever see in your life, apparently. Again, that's a small rant at the movie Man of Steel. But anyway, Superman from 1978. Definitely 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 one of my essential movies now this next one very recent very recent um just about three and a half years ago this movie came out it is baby driver from 2017 now i don't rewatch movies like right after the credits roll like as soon as it ends i don't like rewind it to the beginning but for baby driver i did i absolutely did so I was a little late to this one. I watched this movie about a year after it came out. When I was in high school, I was sitting there, nothing to do. I threw it on my computer, and I watched this movie because I heard so many good things about it, and I was not disappointed. This movie has style. This movie has balls. This movie can kill you with subtlety. Ansel Elgort and my personal Hollywood crush, Lily James, play lovers who definitely should not be together. Baby is a driver with a debt to pay to Hollywood's white Bill Cosby, (laughs) Kevin Spacey. This movie uses visuals to tell a story more than any movie I've ever seen. And that's true. Like, I had to just... Every time I rewatch this movie, I'm always looking in the background. Because there's small details you can catch everywhere. Um, It requires you to keep an eye out in the foreground, the background. There's just too many details to say here. Like in like for instance in the opening or one of the opening scenes baby is getting coffee and he's walking around going place to place and the lyrics of the song are on the walls now i thought this was very obvious but i talked to at least two people and they didn't even notice this i I don't know. I guess it's just I look. I I look for those things in these movies, like because I saw that right away. I saw that. Yeah, I definitely saw that right away. That was one of the things I saw, and I knew the, the lyrics of the song anyway. Already, the Harlem Shuffle, not the Harlem Shake. I almost called it the Harlem Shake, but yeah, definitely. So I really suggest watching this and just keeping an eye out. While it shows more than it tells. It also tells in a lot of ways. This movie has a soundtrack that strangely slaps. Like, even if you're not a fan of the type of music, you'll appreciate the way the director incorporates the music into his scenes. My standout scene is towards the end, when one of the characters is obviously toying with Baby while singing a Barry White song. Obviously, the song is not supposed to be carrying it or is not supposed to be carrying a negative and scary tone. The lyrics reflect what Baby is thinking. It's putting it in your face without putting it in your face. It's a little gag, but the song really shows his drive and motivation for his love interest. Deborah, it's just chef's kiss, honestly. This movie really is one of the most stylistic movies I've ever seen. While it's not perfect, the execution of these great ideas just can't go unappreciated. So yeah, Baby Driver 2017, I don't know what streaming platforms it's on, but if you see it and you have not watched it, stop what you're doing, turn on Baby Driver, pay attention because you will not be disappointed. Now, this next one, Spider-Man 2 from 2004. So this is the other, the last comic book movie on my list. So, I'm going to preface this with saying this is my favorite movie of all time. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I'm probably going to do an episode on this movie later, but for right now, I'm just going to focus on what this movie did for everyone. So, two years prior, Sam Raimi brought comic book to the silver screen, and I'm not exaggerating. That movie is close to a comic as you can get, and it's not like Ang Lee's Hulk, From like 2003 I think. Or whenever that movie came out. Where it frames a movie like a comic book. Like a comic book page. And it looks like garbage. And this movie is a perfect follow up to that. Anyway. Spider-Man 2 is a perfect sequel. Tobey Maguire is perfect. For this version of Peter Parker. Say what you will about Tom Holland. And Andrew Garfield. They don't work for this version. This one was a very specific type of Spider-Man. The movie shows the struggles of balancing the secret identity with the superhero. And, you know, it never works out until it does in the end. Like, you know, your Spider-Man 2s, your Superman 2s, all that stuff. This movie is basically just telling everyone, or is everyone telling Peter Parker that he sucks and he can't do anything right. Which is, it just always cracks me up. So he gives up being Spider-Man and watching the city fall apart and the people that he cares for in danger. He decides that Uncle Ben saying with great power comes great responsibility is what really drives him. Without his powers, he runs into a burning building to save a girl from being hurt or killed, which is kind of a little reference nod to the last movie where Spider-Man jumps into a burning building, saves some people then fights the green goblin so this coupled with Dr. Octopus coming after the woman he loves makes Peter realize that he cannot let it happen he just can't sit by it's just not him and it's the story of a man who just can't win overcoming everything and getting the girl, saving the day swinging into the sunset literally while he doesn't the movie in a perfect scenario, he knows his place and he's come to grips, that it's okay to love, and it's okay to have things to care for. And in the end, it could be what drives him to save the day. It could give him a little extra boost that he needs, and for him to see the lowest of lows and be able to find himself and overcome it just makes it one of the greatest comeback stories of all time. Because Spider-Man... Really has a hard time in Spider-Man 2. Like there's a montage of him just stumbling through the city set to the song "Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head." It's just him being a dork. I mean, him being like a kind of a nerd, but he's okay with himself. He's doing better in school and he's working. But you know, when when the city needs saving, Spider-Man kind of has to, he, ju- he just can't sit by and watch the people he cares for, the city he cares for go to crap. Because it does! And Peter Parker being able to find that, that balance between Spider-Man and Peter Parker it's just like it's just perfect. And it is my favorite movie of all time. It is. And I try to go in as objectively as I can but every time I watch it, it's just. Oh, it just gives me goosebumps. I don't know why. I love Spider-Man 2. Enough of that. Listen later for an extra episode on Spider-Man 2. Because believe me, that's coming sooner than you think. In my next movie, this is gonna be a short one, just because I love it. And I have to kind of just throw Christopher Nolan a bone, because in every list. I've ever seen about best movies of all time, essential movies, any type of that list, a Christopher Nolan movie does show up. And my Christopher Nolan movie is interstellar. I honestly debated this one. It's never stood out to me above the rest of these movies, but after recently rewatching it, I've come to realize the importance of this movie. I'm probably in the minority when I say that this movie was one of Christopher Nolan's best. The Dark Knight Trilogy... Director knocked it out of the park on this one. The space storyline coupled with such a unique score make the two hours, 49 minutes runtime, completely worth it. Matthew McConaughey delivers such an emotional performance. A man with his back on the wall, test with saving humanity, makes this man go to depths he's never gone to before. I know the meme of him crying is out there, and in the context of the movie, it made me cry, let me tell you that. It really shows that he had to give it up. He, What he had to give up is insane. I mean, leaving your family to save humanity, to save the world. I mean, a lot of people probably wouldn't do that. I mean, everybody's self-interest kind of outweighs the, the greater good sometimes. And not in the case of Matthew McConaughey's character because obviously he traveled through time and space to try and save humanity and leave his family behind. So, the twist at the end of the movie did require a certain little suspension of a suspension of belief, because it doesn't really fit into the established universe very well. I mean, watching the movie, it's kind of never really into that, that there's a space dad in the bookshelf because that's really what it is it's your dad in the bookshelf and he's trying to tell you to save humanity but it does a good way of showing you where the seeds were planted like through the through the movie like these random events that happened through the movie kind of mean nothing at face value but at the end of the movie oh boy it made me tear up just watching Matthew McConaughey. Like I, did, I, I never knew that this guy could do such a thing. Matthew McConaughey knocked it out of the park on this one. And Christopher Nolan definitely did as well. I have to applaud him for his direction and writing. And Matthew McConaughey for not being the alright, alright, alright guy. Because I don't want that. I don't think anybody wants to see alright, 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 but in space. Space in Lincolns. No. Nobody wanted to see that. I'm really glad that he kind of broke out of that. Just, oh my god, Interstellar. I'm talking about it now and I want to watch it again because that movie is just nuts. But I'm going to stop this one right here because my next movie and final movie is amazing and you know it, everybody knows it, Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. This came out in 1980, and in a world of sequels and remakes and random wannabe blockbusters, we have to look back at the perfect sequel. This movie's reputation speaks for itself. The cinema world, when making a sequel, they have to look back at the uh, previous sequels in, in life. And the best compliment to get about a sequel is, ooh, this is the Empire Strikes Back of whatever series it is. This had the impossible task of following up the original Star Wars, which blew people's minds when it came out. I mean, just talking to family members when they came out, like they saw this movie multiple times. This movie like, kind of just blew everyone away. And to follow it up, and to follow it up and have it be even better, this rarely happens. So, usually sequels are rarely better than the original, but this one arguably outshines it in almost every way. It does effective world building, character growth, and raises the stakes in a natural way. It has one of the most famous lines in history... No, I am your father. Not Luke, I am your father. It fundamentally changes the structure of the Star Wars universe, but in a way that makes sense. It looks at its main character, Luke Skywalker, and tries to build him up to be a legendary hero, and it succeeds. It makes him flawed and wise. Luke literally is hanging on a thread at one point, and, and, and this movie ends with Luke ready to take on the whole galaxy. The stakes are raised, The characters evolve, with their relationships expanded in a natural and satisfying way. It put one of the most important characters in a place where he may not come back. When Han Solo is frozen in carbonite, and his fate is left uncertain. Luke's world has changed forever, and Leia's love has been taken away from her. Like, most of the movies on this list, there's just too much to say on this, and it's the perfect sequel. And any movie that comes out in the future or any sequel this you should look at this as a template you should look at the empire strikes back because in a world like yes you look at all these movies coming out now it's a bunch of sequels and remakes they're literally making a fifth lethal weapon everybody in that movie should be on life support they are so old <laughs> except for mel gibson i don't know he's a weird guy strange man anyway it's really hard to find a good sequel these days i mean the empire strikes back just made it so natural it didn't make everything bigger and better for the sake of being bigger and better it just put the characters into a bigger and stranger world like The character of Yoda in that movie is the weirdest thing. I mean, like, I have a friend who just, for the first time, we're watching all nine Star Wars movies, and he kind of, like, looked at Yoda with the sideways face and was like, oh, my God, what is this? I thought he was just a little green Muppet man, not this crazy, wise Jedi. And... You don't get that in the first Star Wars. I mean, there's no final space battle to blow up the Death Star. There's no, you know, hero's going to sacrifice himself so the other hero can become the best ever. No, it's getting your main hero, putting him in a world where he has to make tough decisions. He has to fight Darth Vader when he's unprepared. He has to make the wrong decisions, and he pays for them. This movie doesn't end on a high note. I mean. Luke literally just got his hand chopped off. Leia just had to watch Han Solo get frozen in a big block and taken away from her because she's in love with him. Like, But it still ends on this optimistic note where we're going to go get Han Solo back. I'm going to go fight Darth Vader. And it's just the way to do things. I mean, a lot of these sequels will always... <laughs> 'll we'll always just have it be another adventure it's never challenging the, the characters it's never it's never putting them in situations where they should be based on the previous movie it's always I don't know it's it's like sequels are getting tired like these days I genuinely like for instance men in black those, Movies, I love those movies, even though 2 and 3 aren't great. I love Men in Black. And I watched the Men in Black International movie with Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson, and it was just nothing. Like, it was nothing. It was a series of witty comebacks followed by, hey, you remember the first Men in Black or the old Men in Black with Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith? Remember that movie? Yeah. It wasn't was a lot of world changing it was yeah they had some good ideas but it just it just felt planned and honestly i don't remember any of the characters names i remember the 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 gun from the wheel i think (laughs) like it's not memorable and in a world of these like sequels remakes like i said you got you gotta have an empire strikes back you have to not just make it bigger for the sake of being bigger you have to make it bigger to benefit the story if it's, this, if it's a smaller story it's okay it doesn't have to be off the walls crazy just because it's a sequel it just has to be good and a lot of people don't realize that lately and it's a shame <laughs> I love the Empire Strikes Back and it's a shame It's a shame to see sequels today just disappoint me in so many ways. And I'm not talking about like your Marvel movies where they're making sequels upon sequels upon sequels because that's just a different realm. But something like them remaking Terminator for the millionth time just to milk the money. Or Rambo! Rambo! Rambo came out. I saw it. That movie was so bad the last one, Rambo Last Blood, I think it's called, or Rambo Old Man. Like You could call it whatever you want, but that movie was just... That movie was basically a, a modern-day Steven Seagal movie. You could have put Steven Seagal in that movie, and I would not have noticed, and you could have called it like, Bow and Arrow Man. Like I said, if You, you want to judge a sequel by a good movie... You judge it by, if it's the Empire Strikes Back of that franchise. They don't say, oh my god, you just made the Empire Strikes Back of this. The Empire Strikes Back of that. The Spider-Man 2 of this. The Spider-Man 2 of that. You have to be compared to the Empire Strikes Back. And I will always, 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 always love this movie. I will love how it just build so naturally i have to stop talking i'm gonna be here forever if i'm gonna talk about this movie so that's my list of essential movies and i know this wasn't too long too in depth but i thought i would just throw this out there so on to our next segment did someone say girl talk Sometimes I wonder if I have ovaries in my scrotum, because I am great at girl talk. Alright, so this is just going to be a little uh, segment, just where it's just going to be a little just me talking about life, me talking about my life, because it's kind of hard to when nobody's here to listen because all your friends work different hours than you, or they have different off days than you, or you just don't have any friends. Kidding. I have at least four friends. Anyway, so, um, I just need to do a little rant right now. Um, I am very, very bad at talking to girls on any sort of level because I have been out of this game for a long time because recently I am a Single man. And I'm actually sitting here swiping on Tinder right now. And oh boy, let me tell you no offense to anybody out there listening, but I am popular with a very strange section of girls. And I don't know why. I am popular with large women. There, I said it. I am popular with large women, I don't know why, I don't want it, I don't want it, no thank you, um, I don't know, I've been very sad lately, I don't know why, I guess I'm just going through one of those sad days where you kind of want a girlfriend and you kind of don't. But anyway, I don't. Long story short, I just need to branch out and understand that it's okay if a girl looks at you to not be scared. Because I don't have to be anymore. I'm a happy single guy. I got accepted into school. I'm starting school in the fall. I'm going to be a 21-year-old freshman because of the military. Oh boy, let me tell you. This has been a saga that's been going on forever. So, I have been trying to get my free college from the military, and they have not been very helpful with it. Um, I think because of COVID, and because there's been like a change of people who do this job, and I'm new. So, it's been a lot of factors. It's not anybody's fault. It's just how things work, unfortunately. Um, I've been waiting two years. Um, I joined the Army National Guard to go to school, and for a little bit of I Love America, I guess? I don't know. Anyway, so this has been a very long process for me, and it's been a very emotionally... um, It's been a very emotional for me, let's just say that. I work at an animal shelter right now, and I don't know, I just... I would like to be in college right now. Not there. I don't feel good about it. I don't want to end up there for the rest of my life. I don't think I will, but it's just scary to think about. Anyway, I'm starting school this fall, hopefully. Um, or hopefully everything works out. Obviously, because of this podcast, I'm going into radio, television, and film as my major at Rowan University in Glassboro, New Jersey. Anyway... Yeah, I've just been very stressed about school. Um, I wanted to start making these weekly, but I had very, very strange hours over the past month. I worked quite a few days. I had to deal with the National Guard. Been a lot of things that have been out of my control. And now, on my first actual off day in a very long time, I'm here recording an episode. So, that's exciting for me. Okay. I need to tell this story on air. I need to tell this story. If you're this far into the podcast, I appreciate it. Because you're about to hear the funniest story. So, as mentioned, I am recently single as a Pringle. and. Oh, God. I went on a date to Applebee's. Yeah, Applebee's with this girl. Who shall remain nameless. I met her on Tinder. We uh, hit it off a little bit. She was kind of kooky. Kind of weird. Um, and we went to Applebee's. And within 10 minutes. within no, Within the first conversation we had. Um, extraterrestrials were brought up, you know, aliens, people from outer space. Um, that was the weirdest date I've ever been on. And, and I've had girls to ask to see my armpits. So with that, just sink in for you anyway. Yeah, it's been very strange these past few days and not looking forward to it. Not looking forward to these weird dates. Um, other than that, the date was just pretty pretty normal. But that first conversation kind of just like asking me if I think aliens are real. Like right off the bat, like really? That's what you're going in with? Um, the girl and I have not spoken since our date. Um, she probably blocked me. I don't know. It's, I've been on one date since November and this was very recently. This was maybe three weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Um, I obviously wasn't planning on anything coming out of it. I just needed a change of pace, clearly, because going from in a relationship for two years, two plus years. To boom, you're alone. <laughs> uh, it kind of, I don't know, it just kind of wasn't very. Not to mention that I had bronchitis for two weeks and had to miss work for two weeks, and it was just me and my thoughts in, in the basement right after I got broken up with. And, you know, kind of took a mental hit on me, and that's why I decided, decided I'm starting this. So it comes full circle. And, I'm doing a lot better mentally now actually i'm really excited i'm really excited to start school that's like the whole big thing i've been doing it's going to suck being a 21 year old freshman but i've had a lot of people tell me at least you're going to school at least you're actually going out there and doing something that you love and i said yeah yeah i am i'm doing that it's making me happy i hope i don't switch majors because i love this i hope i don't have like some weird realization that Maybe I'm not cut out to be a Quentin Tarantino. Maybe I'm cut out to be an Ang Lee or a Tommy Wiseau. Just a weird guy. I hope not. I really hope not. I love movies. I love this. I love doing this. Anyway, that's been my life recently. Um, This is probably going to happen at the tail end of every episode. Maybe. (laughs) Depends on if something happens or not. Uh, I like this section. is called Girl Talk because I have been told that I'm great at Girl Talk because I'm a good listener and I like talking to people. I like talking to people. And, you know, I hate Girl Talk too sometimes though. I've had really awkward Girl Talk conversations. That's why I'm not friends with a lot of girls. Shout out to Katrina for being my pal. It's like one of the Only girl friends that hasn't been weird. It's like a normal person. Thank you for that. Shout out to her handsome boyfriend, Josh Dare. Wow, didn't think I'd be giving shout outs this episode, but those guys are great. I love them. Anyway, yeah, like I said, this is probably going to happen at the end of every episode. So if you just want to hear me ramble on about movies, then just know that There's nothing that goes on after this segment, every episode. And with that, I think it is time for me to set sail, get out of here. I have a bagel to go eat from Duncan and I'm really looking forward to it. So anyways, thanks guys. This is my second first episode. That first episode really was just a personal thing. I had to get out there. Um, Don't expect too much more of that content coming out of me, unless it's warranted, because if I have to, I will really go into that mode. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. I'm Ryan. Check the description for my socials. And with that, I thank you and have a blessed day. Peace.